In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. If someone uh, comes up to you shortly in the peace and asks you, do you want to live or die, you would most probably say, I'd like to live if I have any choice in the matter. Life or death? The peace is a fulcrum of life and death in our liturgy when we turn to our brothers and sisters and be reconciled to them after we have been reconciled to God in the confession. And only after we have been reconciled do we come to the altar together and partake of God's heavenly nourishment. And there's nothing more life-giving than reconciliation, healing in relationships. Do you want to live or do you want to die? This is a question that Moses puts in the starkest term to the Israelites in the covenant renewal ceremony in the land of Moab. Although he doesn't frame it as a question, but as an invitation. There are only two options for the Israelites, life or death, blessing or curse. And we might think, is there another option perhaps, a, a liminal existence in a twilight zone? But then Moses says something absolutely marvelous. He says, love the Lord your God, hold fast to him, for he is your life. You know the verb love appears 15 times in Genesis, but always between human beings, twice in Exodus, twice in Leviticus, none in numbers, and in Deuteronomy, the, word, the verb love appears 23 times and almost invariably about the relationship between God's love of his people and his people's love for him. When did you last call God the love of your life? And this helps me, as I hope it will help you, understand what on heaven and earth Jesus is proposing in today's gospel reading when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. As I thought about this passage and meditated on it, I realized that Jesus is simply saying, I need to be the love of your life. And even more, he is saying, you need me to be the love of your life. And hate, in this context, is a relative word. It is not a word loaded with emotion and, and dripping with vitriol. It is instead a careful consideration of the surpassing value of the, of the love of Jesus relative to all other loves in our lives. And we see this in the, in the pragmatic examples Jesus uses, which are not bringing, uh, brimming with emotion. This is economic uh, language, uh, a cost-benefit analysis with a consideration of what it is that we value. A great building project, or perhaps an elevator in a building. There's through the roof, but I would like to have an elevator. Going to war, these involve high costs. But you count the cost, you consider the value, you consider what we value. And the highest value is following Jesus. But it's to be weighed carefully and planned with resolve. And Jesus encourages the crowd to carefully consider. And in doing so, he says, stop, wait a minute. This is what it's going to mean to follow me. And he discourages the crowd from following him. His talk of carrying a cross, a symbol of torture and death, and hating family and yourself, well, this does not make Jesus very followable. And this is why I think Jesus, in one of his odd stories we call parables, describes his kingdom as a merchant 
who sells all he has for a pearl of great price. Well, think about that. What a crazy thing to do when you consider that a merchant of substance is apparently impoverishing himself to acquire something supremely valuable, which he can admire and display, but he cannot live off. He is now just a man and his pearl. This crowd going pell-mell after Jesus is not about to give up anything. They're in it for their own benefit. There's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with asking, what do I get out of it? Most of the world runs in this very basic equation. If I pay this price, what do I get that's of value to me? But Jesus invites us into something far costlier and infinitely dearer. What's the price? The cross. The lives and loves you hold dear, including your own. What's the reward? Me, Jesus says. You get me, the love of your life. All other loves flow from this one love in your life, including love for yourself. And then you'll begin to change because that's what Jesus' love does. We don't change so that Jesus will love us. His love changes us. And we see this beautifully illustrated in Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul appeals out of love to Philemon for the slave Onesimus. I particularly like this passage, this story, because we had two young Indonesian boys, Balinese, young men actually living with us in Indonesia. We took them in, they were impoverished. One of them was called Onesimus and the other Archippus. <laughs> Those are not very Balinese names. That we love them. Paul to Philemon, he doesn't say pay him more. He says receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in the Lord, a co-worker in the gospel. And as warmly as you would receive me. Paul's primary concern is to help Philemon reconcile with Onesimus. We don't know what happened. Onesimus took off, ran away. Paul took him in, rehabilitated him, brought him to life in Christ, a new identity. You're no longer a slave in Christ. And Paul's deepest desire was to bring about this reconciliation, a real change in the social relationship between slave and owner. This is what the love of Jesus does. Jesus reorients our relationships around his love. I've heard many sermons about making Jesus my Lord and Savior. They have never moved me or made me want to make Jesus my Lord. Because as soon as anyone says you have to, you must, I become allergic to that word must. It's a little verbal handcuff that, that triggers in me the desire to squirm free. <laughs> Why? Because the way of love is never the way of force. Jesus is not a stalker. He doesn't make people love him. He loves people and says, if you come to me, this is what receiving my love, loving me, loving others will look like. Jesus invites a response, a decision to start following, not to become a super disciple, but simply to trust him enough to take the next step. And the decision to follow Jesus is the ultimate decision by which every other decision is taken and measured. We order all our decisions by this decision to start receiving Jesus' love and responding to ourselves first, well, Christ first, and then ourselves and others in the strength of that love. And perhaps this is why Jesus quoted so much from the book of Deuteronomy. 
second only to the Psalms. Deuteronomy is a turning point in Jewish history. It marks the move from divine initiative that we see in the first three covenants to human responsibility in this fourth covenant, the renewal of the covenant. Without Deuteronomy, the Israelites would not have made the necessary move from becoming not merely God's subjects, but also his partners, his partners in the work of redemption. What a glorious calling. Our days are a series of small decisions to choose life or death. The other day, a car pulled out right in front of me. I'd just been with a fellow soul who lives continually in God's presence. We all do, you know, but this fellow soul is keenly aware of it at all times. I was in a state of deep rest. I felt love. So when this fellow pulls out in front of me, instead of yelling and blaring my horn, I smiled, I slowed down, and I waved. <laughs> I chose life. I received an email not long ago. I read it quickly. It ticked me off, mostly because it said some true things I didn't want to hear. I started typing a response. It was terse. It was defensive. I typed words of death to my spirit and to the relationship. I looked at it. I paused. I considered it. I deleted it. I started over. I was still angry. I walked away. I paused. I, my inner spirit listened to God's spirit saying, read it again, slowly. You know there's a lot of truth there, a lot of wisdom and a lot of love. I came back and the first thing I typed was thank you. I chose life. The other day I opened my heart, I confessed a situation, I'll call it that to my wife Tammy. Tammy, here's what's going on, I don't like it, I don't want to lie about, about it to you. Tammy says, it's okay, I love you. I chose life and love. And I received life and love in return. One final story, a lot of you know I'm a missionary kid, sent away at the age of six to boarding school for a long time. I thought my parents loved God most, then Indonesians, then us, a hierarchy of love. As if love was some kind of zero-sum game. You know, you talk about giving up your possessions. My parents did resent, renounce their possessions. We were pretty poor by American standards, by standards of the first world. Um, and, and if my parents had any extra money, you know what? They gave it to the poor. <laughs> those who are poorer than we were. I wore polyester pants with, white, uh, with a white zipper. It's not a good look for an 18-year-old. <laughs> my mom died in Indonesia last year at the age of 94. A cremation Indonesian pastor spoke of being in my parents' home when they were children, as if they were my parents' children. Keluarga harus lepas tangan, one of them said to my Indonesian sister-in-law when my mom was being cremated. Translated literally, the family, namely us, has to release their hands of her. His meaning was abundantly clear. Later on, my brother said to me, mom and dad belong to them. When he said that, I thought, did we ever have them? We gave my mother's Indonesian children her ashes, which they buried together with my father's bones when my dad died in Bali in 1999 from brain tumor. We buried him in a shallow grave dug out of coral rock. When Christ comes again, he has less you know, distance to go up. <laughs> they couldn't go deep in that coral rock. The Indonesian church exhumed his bones shortly after my mother died so they could bury my parents together in the town where they had started their missionary work 70 years ago. This was an act of honor, but more than that, it was an act of love. 
As I listened to these pastors speak about my mom and dad, they didn't say, Ibu and Pat Lewis converted us. They said they loved us. What am I supposed to do with that? Hate them? In obeying, my God, uh, in obeying God, our God, my parents chose life. They chose love, which always gives life and begets love. We never tire of hearing the gospel in John 3.16. Love and life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Today, lean into love, lean into life. Amen.